0: Awesome. Thank you, Julia. Thanks, Danny. It is so good to be together. Hi, everybody. My name is Ben Kearns and I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff. I feel so seen. I feel so loved. All my insecurities just poured out last week when everyone was dressed in a cool leopard print. Um, but I'm a big guy and that's a tight shirt. So Katie, that's going to be for you a little bit later this afternoon. So you're welcome. Thank you, church, for helping keeping the love alive. Um and we set up this new thing too, where um, we have like a virtual congregation. So like, I can actually see you like Justin Howard. What's up? Give me some love, baby. I see you. So now um, as I'm not just preaching into a, a dark abyss, I get to see you, Joyce Lenenberg and Chad finished up his breakfast again. And so you guys can give me some nods. And then uh, that, that'll help encourage me as we as we crank along this morning's sermon. Well, um, what's interesting is every formation process that we go through, is really a, uh, is not a linear process. I want things to be linear. I want there to be a starting point and I want there to be an ending point, but every true formation process is really um, a spiral. It's, it's, a, it's a cycle that, that we, we, it's like an orbit, we go out and we come back. And if you've ever walked uh, through a really challenging season of grief and you know the grief cycle, do you know how many phases there are in the grief cycle? Put your hands up, I'll give you a hint. There's this many, five, Right. right? So in grief, you start out with denial Like, no, this isn't happening. And then you realize it is happening and you feel anger and then you bargain and then there's depression and then there's acceptance, right? That's the grief cycle. And what's interesting is when you get to acceptance, you're not like, oh, I'm done. I'm now a whole person and I'm ready to go live my whole life. What happens is now you, you're just in a different spot to do that whole uh, journey all over again, to do denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. One of my favorite metaphors is the idea of the hero's journey, which means that we're all called by God to be these people, to be God's mighty women and men. And there's a process. And how many people know how many parts are in this process? Put your hands up. I'll give you a hint. There's this many parts of the hero journey. Okay? Three. That's right. So there's a call, and then there's a challenge, and then there's a completion and when you get to this new level of completion, it's not like, oh, now I'm a hero. No, you've just, you, you, you're a deeper person. You've arrived somewhere deeper. And then you do another version of call, challenge and completion. Well, just like that um, with grief and the hero's journey, the same thing is actually exactly true when it comes to our spiritual formation. Our path towards Christ is not a linear straight path where all of a sudden we're just going to keep walking in a straight line and all of a sudden be towards Christ. But it is this cyclical pattern that we enter in day in and day out. And I love this passage in First Peter because it's in, in this one passage, Peter goes through this cycle two different times. And here's the cycle. It's one, to recognize that we are saved by Christ and we have brand new identity found in Him. And because we're saved by Christ, we're called to be obedient children, which means we're called to love one another deeply. And as we do that, there's a call that we are to root out sin. That part's not very fun. I'm a little nervous to get to that part of my sermon. And we do that so far we can actually reflect the goodness and glory of Christ. And over and over and over again, we do that cycle round and round, so that as we move towards Christ, we reflect Christ in all of his goodness and glory. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to First Peter chapter one? And we're gonna begin in verse thirteen. All right, Peter says this: therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. I love this idea. Set your mind um, with minds that are alert and fully sober. I found this quote that I thought was so helpful. It means being deeply introspective and brutally truthful. If we're going to move towards Christ, if we're going to be on this passage and this formation towards Christ, we need to be deeply introspective and brutally Truthful. So with our minds set like this, we set our hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in this coming. That is that we now find our salvation in Christ. And as obedient children, which we're going to find out what that means in a second, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. That's where we need to begin to root out our sin. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that really is the process over and over and over again. We set our hope on the grace that is brought to us in Christ. And so th- that first couple of verses is just simply the outline. It's the beginning of the process to let you know where this journey is taking us. And from 17 all the way to chapter 2, verse 3, um, Peter begins to unpack and give more and more rich detail about what it means to be on the spiritual formation path. So in verse 17, it says this, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as followers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life, handed to you from your ancestors. And it begins like this, since you call on your father, and what's incredible is the, the picture that Jesus paints over and over again, and here Peter echoes, is that this relationship with God is not an impersonal God. It's not a distant God. It's not a being far, far away, but it is a relational God. That God has invited us into a covenant relationship. One of my favorite uh, Hebrew words, it's the only Hebrew word I remember from seminary, is, this, is the Hebrew word Chesed, And it means covenant loyalty. It's familial loyalty. Like, like you're going to fight with your brother or sister. You may have nothing in common with them, but you are in with them. And God is our heavenly father. And when we put our faith in Christ, all of a sudden our whole identity changes. We go from just being outside or outsiders to being daughters and sons of the king. We are children of God. So our identity is changing. Our formation is entered into this new identity that we have in Christ, one as children of God. But then it goes on and says this, to live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And Peter unpacks this a little bit farther, but we're foreigners, which means that we, our citizenship is in heaven. Which, and what that really means is not only do we enter in this covenant relationship with God, we enter into a kingdom mentality that Jesus is the king and we submit all of our lives to him. Jesus longs for his people to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we get to be co-laborers with him. Our citizenship is not in this world, which means all the customs, all the values, all the ways of this world. We're just visitors here. We're, 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 We're travelers here. We don't make our home here. We are ambassadors of the good news of Christ. So we have a covenant identity. We have a kingdom identity. And he goes on to make sure that we understand that we get this identity because it is costly. That in order for us to be adopted into the family of God, in order for us to be all that God has for us, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, there was a price that needed to be paid. When Jesus died on the cross, which we in the Christian world, we just go, this is the thing that happened. And we, we almost flannel graph that idea. But Peter makes sure that we understand that there was a real cost, more precious than gold and more precious than silver. And so the very first part of this uh, spiritual formation exercise is that our formation is, en- is anchored in our brand new identity as children of God with citizenships in heaven because of the costly work that Jesus paid on the cross. The second part of this process is that formation compels us to love one another. In verse 22, Peter goes on and says this, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Now love one another deeply from the heart for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living enduring word of God. I love that. Now that you've had this brand new identity, and he says this early, right? As obedient children. Well, what does it mean to be obedient children? Jesus says, a new command I give you. We all are familiar with the golden rule, right? It's to love one another the way, that they, the way that you want to be loved. I love it. Andy Stanley. He says, "What we don't talk about the golden rule. We talk about the platinum rule. And the platinum rule is a new command. Jesus very rarely gives us new commandments, but the new commandment that Jesus gave us was to love one another the way that he loved us, selflessly laying down his life for us. All of us love our friends. All of us love the people who are like us. All of us love the people that agree with us but Jesus over and over and over again, compels us to love one another with a chesed type of love, with a covenant loyalty type of love. At one point in Jesus' ministry, um, someone came to Jesus and said, Jesus, your mother is outside. And Jesus looked around and said, who's my mother? This is my mother. This is my brothers, right? That we all now have this deep, intimate relationship with Christ, familial relationship with Christ. He also goes on and says, what good is it that you love one, that you love your friends? Even tax collectors do that. But if we're going to be followers of Christ, we are called to love others, to love our enemies, to love the foreigners, to love the outsiders and the outcasts, people who are not like you, people who are not like me. We are compelled by Christ as obedient children to love them. And what's interesting is I, I, I think of my own family and I love my sister, Allie. And she's a teacher at Loma Verde. She's this incredible woman. Um, but I think if I just met her on the street, I don't know if we would be friends. Our lives are really different. We're in different seasons of life. And I just think we'd go, oh, it was nice to meet you. And we'd go our separate ways. But because we're family, I'm compelled to love her. I'm compelled to walk with her through in season and out of season, whatever peaks and va- she's walking through in whatever valley she's walking through. I am compelled to love her. And the way that I love my sister is the way that I'm compelled to love everybody. First, our Christian family, but then we're compelled to love those outside of our Christian family, even our enemies, even foreigners, and even outsiders. So if our formation is anchored in our new identity, and then for our formation compels us to love one another then we're going to recognize very early on that we are carrying this giant bag of sin and brokenness that is hindering us from fully being all that God longs us to be. This is my memory verse early, but it's first uh, Peter chapter two. And he goes on and says, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind earlier on. Right. Uh, Peter says, do not conform to the evil desires. Um, the evil desires you had when you were living in ignorance. So we do not conform to the world and we're called to rid yourselves, to rid yourselves. I'm not going to lie. No one likes to rid themselves. And I don't know if you've ever walked through having cancer, if you've know someone who's walked through cancer, but that is the scariest moment when you get the diagnosis that you have cancer or someone you love has cancer. It's paralyzing and it's scary. But what's incredible is doctors and especially doctors now, we live in a moment where doctors are incredible and they say, I know exactly what is going on. I know exactly where the cancer is and we are going to root it out. And isn't that interesting? We don't want cancer to ruin us or ruin those we love. And so we submit to the doctor and we say, okay, have your way with us. And they cut away parts of our body. And then not only after it's been cut away, then we go through... um, chemo and radiation, and it impacts our body, but it's this brutal, brutal work that has to get done so that we can live. And I think if we're gonna be all that God has for us, if we're gonna embrace this new identity, if we're gonna genuinely love those around us, then we need to take this look inside of ourselves and be willing to root out our sin. Peter says, therefore, rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And I'm not very good with the English language, as many of you know, and makes my mom just, she shakes her head. She says, how did I raise a son who has such poor grammar and doesn't understand his vocabulary? So I did what all good young people do is I went to Google and I Googled these words uh, and I'm going to share the definitions with them um, with you. But it was interesting after every word, there's a graph that shows how often that word has been used in culture. And every single one of these words is getting less and less and less used because these words are actually becoming not vices, but are becoming virtues in the world that we live in. And Peter is compelling us to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed. And so the very first word is malice. Malice its the intention or desire to do evil. And I know, I mean, you're beautiful people. We're all in Marin Covenant. We are so good people. We're Marin people. We recycle for crying out loud. Who among us actually has a desire to do evil? Well, here is the brutal thing. Here is the way that I think we've tricked ourselves, that we actually have a deep, dark sin problem. You may not know this, but you have a sin nature. Sin is deep inside of you. We have a flesh that is warring at our soul. And there is actually evil in us that we are compelled to do. And if we're not willing to look inside of us to see our intentions, to question our intentions, to lay them bare before God, then we're going to unintentionally be doing evil. We will be unintentionally doing malice. The second is deceit. This is the action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Now i worked with teenagers for the bulk of my adult career and I always told parents this and now I have a teenager of my own and I am experiencing it. The teenagers, they tell you like 7% of the truth. They tell you just enough to get you off their back. Oh, great. You went to your friend's house. That's awesome. And they don't tell you the 93% of else what's going on in their life, right? And what happens in our teenage world, we become so accustomed to just deceiving, to saying whatever we need to say to get out of any problem. And the bummer is that that doesn't just go away when we become adults. We actually become liars in our very being because we never get that under control. And so if we want to be all that God has for us, we, not, we have to become truth tellers. We need to root out deceit, not right? To the action or practice of deceiving somebody by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. This third one, this is the hardest one and the one I've wrestled with all week, which is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is really deceit, but then back toward yourself, you end up lying about who you really are. And how many times, and part of the reason why I think the church is struggling so much right now is because we've been so accustomed to living in, in hypocrisy. We said one thing's with our mouth and we don't back it up with our life. And it actually ruins our witness. And what's interesting, being, spending so much time at home during this COVID, I've had so many great conversations with my son. And I end up yelling at the news because I'm like a, an old man in my soul. And I realize my son's taking on that, that, uh, that being. I'm like, oh my goodness, that can't happen. I need to help um, shape that a little bit because I don't want to be an old man at 15. At and what I realized is, and I shared this with him, is that I genuinely actually love Marin. I genuinely love the values of Marin. I mean, I really do. I love that Marin loves the environment and we love the world and we love caring for God's creation. And we say it with our words all the time and we even recycle a lot. But we are one of the most materialistic grouping of people and we consume and we always need the newest thing and our trash bins are full to the max. I love that Marin... Prides itself on being tolerant. We're so tolerant. Hate has no place in Marin. And I love that. Unless you happen to believe in traditional sexuality, or unless you happen to come across someone who's voted for Trump or may vote for Trump. And then it's like, oh, they, well, you can hate them. And I've seen numbers of emails of saying, hate has no place, hate has no place. And then can you believe this person and the vitriol that comes out of people's mouths? It's brutal. And right now we're living in this moment of trying to wrestle with our, our nation and our racist history. And what do we do? And, and it's so encouraging to drive around Marin and see all these moms and suburbans with Black Lives Matter written across the back of their minivans and to go down to the grocery store and see Black Lives Matter on, on, the, on the ground, on chalk. And I mean, it's everywhere. We went out hiking at Tennessee Valley Trail and it seemed like every car had some sort of Black Lives Matter wording everywhere. And praise God that we as a country and we as a people are saying, yes, it's about time that this grouping of people, African-Americans who have been treated horribly over most of our history with slavery and reconstruction and Jim Crow, and it goes on and on and on. And we have an opportunity to say, yes, we're gonna give special attention to make sure this grouping of people is seen and loved and cared for. And we pat ourselves on the back. And yet we live in Marin County where we actually have a full underclass of undocumented immigrants that both parties have just kind of like let be. And there's a whole other culture that just kind of runs parallel to our culture. And we just kind of let that be, I let that be. And so I'm paralyzed in this moment because I want to be care for the environment. I want to be tolerant. I want to stand up against racism. And I see that if I'm not careful, my own hypocrisy will invalidate all of these things. Sorry, I spent so much time on that one. That's the one I've just been wrestling with the most this week. So malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by somebody else's possessions. Boy, that is it. It's so funny. That's, that's a vice. But in our context, right, we almost get glory. We almost get power if we look around on other people and they have more than us. If they're doing better than us, um, then we can be resentful towards them. But Peter's saying, no, we need to root out envy envy crushes our soul. We need to be grateful for all that God has for us. We need to leverage all that we have to care for those who don't have as much, not stand and be upset with all those who have more. And the last is slander. The action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. And because we've all been in coronavirus and we've been online forever and ever, we've just gotten so comfortable with kind of taking the worst moments of people online and blowing them up and making sure they get canceled or making sure they get crushed, making sure they get taught their due lesson. Now that's the way the world works, but as Christians, right? We're not marked by retribution. We're marked by grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so if we're gonna genuinely love others, if we're gonna genuinely care for others as obedient children, we cannot be partners with the world. We must root out our sin nature. And finally, we recognize that formation causes us to reflect Christ, right? We're called to be holy just the way that Jesus is holy, right? It says like newborn babies, we crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. So now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, that is what we've been invited to do to model Christ, to be like Christ in all of who we are. I love it. One of the commentaries I read was like a a newborn baby because a newborn baby, when they are ready to eat, they are single-minded in their focus on milk. That is the one thing that matters, the one thing they run after. And if we are gonna be all that God has for us, to love one another deeply, to root out our sin, then we need to take our spiritual formation and the disciplines that get us there seriously. We need to spend time in scripture, We need to spend time in worship. We need to spend time with one another. We need to spend time in the world, serving and offering our gifts and talents to those around us. And when we do those things, we enter the spiritual formation loop over and over again, recognizing that we are saved by Christ, by his precious blood, and we've been adopted into his family. And we have a new identity as children of the King. And as children we're called to be obedient children, to love one another, not just our friends, not just people like us, but foreigners and outsiders, sinners, people who are as far away from you as possible. We are compelled to love them and lay down our life for them the way that Christ did for us. And the only way we're gonna do that is by rooting out our sin, the sin that is so deep inside of us, that it entangles all the deepest parts of us. We ask God, please reveal that in me, root that out, in me so that when we do that, we can now reflect the goodness and grace of Christ. So I'd love for you to join me in this, in this short course that just affirms God's holiness, God's goodness. The character of God is the character of God that we long to reflect.